Tanner, and welcome to the Oxano Podcast. Oxano is a worship service for college students and young adults that takes place weekly during the school year at Dawson Family of Faith. If you're ever in Birmingham, Alabama on a Tuesday night, we hope you'll join us as we worship through song, prayer, and the Word. Thanks for listening. Good evening, everyone. Tonight's scripture reading comes from Nahum chapter 1, an oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum of Elkosh. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps his wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is the whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. The bloom of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth heaves before him. The world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. But with an overwhelming flood, he will make a complete end of the adversaries and will pursue his enemies into darkness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, we come to you in this place of worship, um, knowing that you are a God who is holy, you are a God who is good, and you are a God who loves us. Lord, I pray that you speak through me and that they be your words and not mine. I pray that you open the hearts of um, the people in this room and that they can receive this word tonight. Lord, I pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, I've been waiting all day to see your faces after Will wrote, read that passage. <laughs> it is a joyful passage, isn't it? It's great. Hills melting, earth's heaving, which means vomiting, by the way. Um, so it, it's a really crazy passage. When I chose it, Blake was like, my professor calls that the cocker spaniel. What, why, why did you choose that? But I am so excited to show you that even the difficult passage of Scripture, even the crazy passages of Scripture, even the passages of Scripture that seem like you want to keep at arm's length, they're not scary because we read all of this with such great hope because we know Jesus. And so I can't wait to share that with you guys. Um, a little background. Um, I, um, we've been doing a minor prophet series the past couple of weeks, and so it's called Reckoning and Restoration, and if you know anything about me, you know I love the minor prophets. I'm having a great time. When Jacob, our new young adult minister, chose this series, he, like, set the idea. I, like, tried to stay still, and I was like, I'd like to second that, please, um, and I am so excited. It's been a really great um, month. And we're, we're still going to have next week, too. So this is the third week in our series. If you haven't listened, please go back and listen to Blake talking about Jonah, Jacob talking about Habakkuk. It's all really good time. But the past two weeks, we've been going over an entire book of the Bible at like a 30,000-foot view. And we've learned a lot. Tonight, my goal with you is just to sit in one chapter of a book called Nahum and really see if we can get some good pieces of scripture and see if we can find out who God is and learn a little bit more about God's love for us in just this one little book of the Bible, in one chapter. So 
Bible is not scary. We're going to walk through it together. It's going to be great. Um, little background on the book of Nahum and your sermon guide. Nahum is a collection of poems announcing the downfall of the nation of Israel, I mean, downfall of the nation of Assyria, and its capital city, Nineveh, which is Israel's worst oppressors, one of their worst oppressors in history. And Nahum's name means comfort, ironically. And as such, his prophecy of Nineveh destruction was a comfort to Judah. And so the date of Nahum's ministry, it can be placed anywhere between 600 to 700 BC, just to give you a look at where we're at in biblical history. But um, yeah, these words are super humbling. They're filled with a lot of anger and indignation and, you know, it's God pounding his fist, but we're gonna see what the Lord has to say. So yeah, these words, they're a little humbling. And just to get you guys at a place where we can all receive a harsh word and just to get you guys at a place where we can all just have our best interests at hearts. I'm going to be vulnerable in front of you for a minute just so we can all just kind of like let loose, let our hair down. All right, I'm going to tell you two times in my life that I was severely humbled, okay? These are not the only two, but these are two good stories. So I'm just going to give you two good stories of where I was humbled just so we can receive this humbling word. And so, you know, you know that I'm not the only one handing out the indignation here. But my first story is whenever I was in fifth grade, okay? I'm in, the P, I'm in my PE class, Mrs. Robinson's PE class, and she announces that for some odd reason, I don't think they've ever done this before again, we're going to have a dance competition. The entire fifth grade is going to have a dance competition. And I did not know what possessed me to raise my hand. And, or I, I think I just walked into the middle of the gym floor and just presented myself as a, um, as a contestant. I don't even know what the winner got. I don't even think there was a prize. I just wanted to be in it. And so I'm doing my thing. And I make it to the next round, believe it or not. I make it to the next round. I, yeah, thank you very much. I was doing my little dance, my little fifth grade dance. And the next day, she said that the entire fifth grade, so not just my PE class, but the entire fifth grade was going to go out to the playground and all the teachers were going to be there too. And we were going to have this huge dance competition. It was going to be like a circle. And the next contestant would just walk into the circle, give, you know, give it all they had, and then <laughs> pop back out. And then our coach was going to tell you whether you were disqualified or not based on the applause. So I brought my, my only dance prop that I brought was, I was really into flat hats back then, um, lids. I don't know if all my guys, have y'all ever been to lids? I was a frequent shopper at lids. Um, so I brought my, my, my flat hat, my lid, and it was, for some reason, that's the only thing I could think to do. So the entire time I was dancing, I was like, <laughs> and it was just moving my hat. And one of my cousins was one of the fifth grade teachers. And so she just was looking at me and she was like, <laughs> and I was like, and Mrs. Robinson, she loved me a lot, but she knew that it just wasn't there. Like, I don't even think one person applauded. And so she was like, Cole, sweetie, we're just going to step to the side. And I was like, okay. Um, so that was one instance of me being humbled. Another more, that hits a little closer to home, um, two years ago, I don't know if any of y'all young, young adults were here two years ago, if any of our 
upperclassmen were here two years ago. I really hope you weren't, but you're, I'm about to expose myself right here. So I was an intern, just like Caroline and Avery and Austin, and I was um, in charge of doing an extended prayer time. And this was like my, one of my first big things up in front of everybody with a microphone. And I was super nervous, and Blake was really encouraging, and Kara was really encouraging. They're like, it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. Blake was preaching a sermon series on the Lord's Prayer, okay? So he was doing an entire, like, three or four week sermon series just on the Lord's Prayer, and Blake wanted me to do an extended prayer time and then end it with the Lord's Prayer, just to kind of set people's tone and, you know, tune people's hearts. Sydney's laughing because we talk about it at least once a week. It's a really bad story. Um, <clears throat> yeah, um, so I'm praying, okay, and I'm shaking, and so then I finally get to the Lord's Prayer time. And just to kind of tell you guys, I checked with Blake and Kara and even Ben Hewitt, um, who was on our staff too, and I was like, please tell me that the Lord's Prayer is going to be on the screen. Like, I, I, I know it, I think, <laughs> but I'm going to, I'm nervous. I, I might forget it. And they're like, no, it's going to be on the screen. I remember Kara looking at me and saying, it's going to be on the screen. And I get to the point where it's time to say the Lord's Prayer. And I get as far as our Father and it's not on the screen. <laughs> and I'm like, and then Blake from like where he's sitting goes, who art in heaven. And I'm like, thy kingdom come. And I'm like trying to follow along. It was horrible. And so then I just sat down. I was not asked to get up on the stage for a few more weeks. It was really bad. Um, yeah, so anyway, just to kind of be vulnerable with you guys for a minute, I have your best interest at heart. Now you know I'm for real. I'm not just handing out all this anger to y'all. We all have been humbled. Humility is something that we have experienced a lot. I, I know in this season of college to 20-something, 30-something, we've experienced humility a ton. And Nahum is throwing it right in our face. And Nahum's words, they ring with a lot of harshness and a lot of humility. But even though this sometimes is hard to hear, because I know sometimes it's not, it's not easy to hear, even sometimes when it's hard to hear, I encourage you tonight to hear these words with a heart that truly holds on to God's promises and his love for us. Because he has promised us things and he loves us so much. And so, first thing I want to let you guys know is that our God is jealous and he deals with evil. So let's start reading in Nahum 1, verse 2. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither, the bloom of Lebanon withers, the mountains quake before him, the hills melt the earth heaves before him, the world, and all who dwell in it. Okay, that's the reason why I got vulnerable with you guys. This is, this is messy. This is kind of hard to hear. This is, we reach this point of scripture and we're like, what's going on? 
What we know from this, and this is something that I guarantee a lot of you, if you were raised in the church, you know, is that God is wrathful. That's something we all know. That's a true statement that God is wrathful. He's also powerful, as we see. He's vengeful. He's angry. He has a standard, and he's jealous. He's jealous for us. And this might be a controversial statement to make, but it's absolutely true. We see here that God hates he hates evil. And I know that you might hear in all these circles, God is love, God, God is love, he loves. Yes, that's very true, but he also hates. It's only logical to think that if God loves some things, he's gonna hate others. And what does he hate? He hates evil, he hates sin. He can't stand it. And one thing I'd like to highlight to you guys is, and for you guys to remember is, and just ask you plainly, aren't you glad that God hates evil? <laughs> aren't you glad that we serve a God who hates evil? He can't stand it. And this is a great comfort to me and it, and it spurs me on to love him more because I don't just serve a God who's powerful. I serve a God who's powerful. He's not just powerful, he's all powerful and he cannot stand injustice. And so that's good news. It's a good hope to hear. And so with all that being said, yes, reading about whirlwinds and Earth's heaving slash vomiting and seas and rivers drying up and you know, flourishing forests withering and mountains quaking and hills melting. It's a lot to take in, but God does not tolerate evil and he's not afraid to tell us that. He's not afraid to really emphatically let us know that he just can't stand it. And so the same God who loves you, the same God who made you, the same God who knows exactly how many hairs are upon your head and knit you together in your mother's womb is the same God who has the ability to make those hills melt and to make those earths quake and to make those rivers dry up. And that's a good hope to know is that the all-powerful God is also the God who is jealous for you and he's also the same God who made you and loves you and sent his son to die for you. And so that's a good hope. One thing that might be hard to grasp, and it was definitely hard for me to grasp when I first read this passage, is God being jealous. And I think a, a little analogy that I think will help you understand just how his jealousy works is with a husband and wife. So think about a husband and wife. Husband and wife, they've entered into this covenantal marriage together. They've promised to love each other and only each other forever. And then you think about one spouse, either the husband or the wife, cheating on his or her spouse. And then you think about the other spouse who was cheated on being told that their lover has defiled their marriage and has loved someone else, does not care. Could you imagine that? If someone who was cheated on, if their, if their spouse cheated on them, and then they claimed that they did not care, act like it was no big deal, I don't know about you guys, but I would call that a loveless marriage. <laughs> I, I, I would say there's no love there. There was no love there to begin with. When someone, when a, a husband or a wife is told that their spouse that they've entered into this covenant relationship with has totally went against everything that they promised at the altar, that's a debilitating, wrecking, horrifying feeling. And it's something that totally wrecks hearts and relationships and breaks people. And that's how God feels when we go after other idols and when we go after other gods and when we whore after evil and we whore after sin. 
That's how God feels against us. He's, he's jealous for us. And so I don't want you to read this and think, oh, God is jealous. It's just another one of his Old Testament traits. No. The same God who created the heavens and the earth is also the same God who sent his son to die for you in the New Testament. It's the same God, the entire Bible. And that God gets jealous when you do not follow him. And so I want you to remember this, not in a way of, you know, being forced to or feel like it's an uncomfortable situation, but embrace this feeling because it's all for love. It's, it's God's love for us. As I said before, God hates sin, but he loves us. And so knowing that God loves us, we have to really and truly accept the fact that he gets jealous for us. And that's, that's flattering. That's flattering to hear. Another truth I want you guys to know is that our God is good and he's a strong refuge. So let's read in verse six. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? To think that the God who is able to have a heat of anger that no one can stand before and no one can endure, and he's able to have an indignation that no one is able to even approach, also loves us, is so great to hear. It's, it's again, it's flattering. It makes you feel whole. It, it makes you feel like you have a place. To me, it, it tells me who I am. Because I know it's really hard in this season of your life, in your 20s and 30s, to really not really know where you land, not really know where you are, not really know who you are. Who am I? Am I, am I a theater major or am I not? Am I a computer science major or am I not? Am I an accountant or am I not? Or is this my identity? Is, is this who I am? Am I a person who has this disease? Is this... Is this who I am? Am I a person who has this debilitating anxiety? Is this who I am? Is this my identity now? No, my identity is that the same God who is able, who is only, the same God who is the only God able to stand before anyone and be more powerful than anyone standing before him, and the same God who no one can stand before his indignation and no one can endure the heat of his anger is the same God who loves us. And so again, I'm, in, I'm, I'm emphasizing this and I'm repeating myself, but I want you to know that he's jealous for you, but he also loves you and he's good. And it encourages me to love him more, not just to know that God loves me, but encourages me to, to receive that love and to reciprocate it back out to the one who has shown it to me in the first place. And this word, this word of his heat of anger and, and just how powerful he is. It's also a real hope to those who have experienced real evil. Um, and I'm not just talking about like meanness. I'm talking about real evil. There are real demonic destructive forces at work and I don't even have to list them. I know that you guys are already coming up with a list in your head and I know that some of you have experienced real evil And God is more powerful than anything. He has triumphantly destroyed it. He is coming again to purify it. It is his way. It is his desire to absolutely demolish it. And so this is a great hope to the people who have experienced real destructive 
sinful evil. And here is the comfort that comes in verse 7. The Lord is good. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knows those who take refuge in him. He knows those who take refuge in him. And so in the midst of this crazy, crazy world, and in the midst of sin, in the midst of darkness, in the midst of destruction, in the midst of your own sin, because I know being a sinner, sometimes I'm overwhelmed with my own sin. When I look in the mirror and I don't like what I see, all I see is sin. When you are overwhelmed by that, know that he knows you, he sees you because he made you and he loves you. Know that the same God who can do all of these crazy things that we read about is also the same God who is a good, he, he himself is good and he is also a strong refuge. He is not a safe place to hide. He is the safe place to hide. He is the only place where you will be eternally safe. He's a God of comfort. No wonder Nahum's name means comfort. This is a comfort for us to hear, is that this God is the only good and strong refuge. And so I encourage you to take refuge in the God who loves you. And so this reminds me of a couple of Psalms. You know, I got to fold some Psalms in here. I love me a couple of good Psalms. Psalm 8, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? What is man? What, who am I? That the person, the God, the almighty who created the heavens and the earth, who with his fingers made the moon and the stars is also mindful of me and loves me. Psalm 61, hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I call to you. When my heart is faint, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Rest in this word. Remember this word. Reflect on this word. I encourage you, highlight these psalms. Write them down. Put them on sticky notes and put them all over your bathroom wall, your car. I want you to remember that the God who made you and loved you also is a great shelter underneath his wings. And he also is mindful of you because he knows you. In the second verse of a great song, Christ, Our Hope in Life and Death. I don't know if you've heard it. It's a great song. In the second verse of that song, it says, What truth can calm the troubled soul? God is good. God is good. And so that's a comfort for us. It's, it, it, when we don't know where else to turn, when we don't know what else to feel, it's a comfort to us to know that God is good. And I encourage you again, to not separate these aspects of God. Yes, he is the God who is able to do anything he wants to do. He is the God who is able to cause destruction with hills melting and earths vomiting, but he is also the God who is jealous for you and he loves you 
And he's a good and he's strong refuge. So I encourage you, do not separate these attributes. Do not say Old Testament God is mean, New Testament God is nice. I encourage you to think about the Bible as one complete story about one almighty God who is all of these things. So because the Father of lights is an almighty advocate for righteousness, because he's also sent his son, Jesus Christ, who has defeated the death of darkness. And so he's the God of light and he's defeated darkness and he's also sent his son to do just that. Let's read verse eight. But with an overwhelming flood, he will make a complete end of the adversaries and will pursue his enemies into darkness. We see this again. The father of lights is pursuing his enemies into the darkness. And we heard that Jesus saves. We, we know that Jesus saves. I'm, I'm sure you've heard it in Sunday school, growing up, or children's church, or you know, just if you're even around the church or around friends who know Jesus, I'm sure you've heard the phrase, Jesus saves. But we see here in verse 8 that Jesus has saved us from our enemies. He has saved us from, our, from darkness and that God has done all of these. But how? How has he done this? How is he able to do this? How is Jesus able to save us? And so God, he delivers this message to us. And another, another truth I want you guys to know is that our God is a bringer of good news and a publisher of peace. Looking at verse 15, Behold upon the mountains the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. We as Christians, we read this word with hope. And like I said, Jesus saves, but how does he save? The good news that we're talking about in verse 15 is the gospel, the good news. And what is the gospel? The gospel is that God loved us so very much that he sent his only son to die the death that we deserve, take the wrath of God upon himself, be nailed to a cross, die, and then raise three days later triumphantly conquering sin and death. And so now we, we read this as Christians, those who proclaim Jesus as their Lord and Savior, we read this with hope because we know what the good news is. We don't have to guess what the good news is. We don't read this with an expectance. We read this with remembrance, knowing that Jesus has conquered death and that the good news and the published peace is that we can have a relationship with Jesus. We can also be saved. And that's a good hope for us to hear because, like I said, we can be overwhelmed with our own sin. We can look in the mirror and we can not like what we see, but we can be saved. The Lord has already taken the wrath of God upon himself. He's already done it. And so we can read this with hope, knowing that we can have a relationship with him and we can also be free from our sin. We can give it to him. We can ask him to forgive us. And we know that he is faithful and just to do just that. And we could be free we who are in Christ, the Apostle Paul says, were crucified with Christ so that the punishment we deserve is not a future event to be feared, but it's a past event to be wondered at. We can look and remember what Jesus has done 
And we can wonder and we can stand in awe of the God who has already saved us. Not looking to the future and with fear and with trembling, but, with no, but knowing that the almighty, jealous, vengeful God has made a way for us to be near him, clean and wiped away from our sin. And this is good, good news for us to hear. And so, yes, he brings good news. Yes, he publishes peace. And we as Christians, we know exactly what that is. And so this is, this is fearsome judgment from Nahum to Nineveh. We know, I mean, we read at the very beginning, there's some crazy things going on. And for Nineveh, this is a fierce, this is a, you know, this is a little touch and go for them. I mean, they, they're about to be destroyed. But we as Christians, we read this with so much hope because we know that the reality that is coming for Nineveh, the destruction and the fire that is coming for Nineveh is not coming for us because we as Christians, we read this with a new reality looking at our future with an eternal hope. And so this is another reason why I'm so passionate about sharing these hard passages with you guys because when you proclaim Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can take passages like this that are a little crazy and you can read them with such hope knowing that that wrath has already been put on the cross and that all you have to do is proclaim the name of Jesus and follow him and you can commune with him holy, heavenly, eternally. So read your Bible, guys. Read your Old Testament. It's good stuff. And also, I told you, the Bible's not scary. This is, it's been good, right? You know, this is not scary. Yeah, that's my goal. The Bible is not Scary. We also, through all of this, we have come to the reality to know what grace is. That great song, grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. So a professor of Christian theology at Cambridge University, Simeon Zoll, he further emphasizes this point when he says, to experience divine grace is thus to experience consolation, peace, and joy in the context of concrete experiences of suffering and plight. And so what this says is that we can experience grace and have peace and joy not in the little things that happen. I mean, yes, but not just in the little things that happen. Not just in, you know, these select sins or these select bad occurrences in our life. No, we can experience grace and have peace and joy in the concrete experiences of suffering and plight. In the darkest moments of your life, in the deepest, darkest depths of our sin, and in looking at the world's sin, those moments where you don't feel like you want to get up out of bed, those moments where you feel like you don't want to go to class, those moments where you feel like, I will never stop snoozing that alarm button because I don't want to go. I don't want to continue. You know that God has given you grace 
And that this transcends and spurs you on into the deepest, darkest depths of suffering and plight. And it will give you peace and love and joy. And it is real and it is good. And so we now see God dressing addressing Judah. He's addressing Judah now, um, his triumphant nation. And he's doing this because Jesus is the lion of Judah and he's the victor over sin and death. In the midst of great pain, because Judah is being oppressed by Assyria and they're just really overcome with the state of of their world right now and the state of their life. They're really overcome with war and they're really overcome with just hurt. And God tells them this, keep your feasts, O Judah, fulfill your vows for never again shall the worthless pass through you. He is utterly cut off. So keep your feasts, O Judah. Don't lose hope, Judah. Don't lose sight of your heritage, Judah. No more oppression from Assyria, Judah. He's telling them this. And so these feasts, these festivals, they would remind the people of the Lord that the Lord has had past acts of deliverance. He has delivered them and he has delivered them for a future hope of the coming Messiah. And we, again, as Christians, we read this with so much hope because we know who that coming Messiah is. He has already came and he's going to come again. And his name is Jesus and he's the Lion of Judah. So this is why Judah is commanded to keep their feast. They're commanded to keep their feast because it is a hope for them. And so looking at it today, we see, we see the feast even kept in our context of our church, the Lord's Supper. We partake in the Lord's Supper with an act of remembrance, remembering that God is faithful and that God loves us and that one day we're going to have an eternal and heavenly feast in Zion and that the feast we're experiencing right now in this church for the Lord's Supper is just an appetizer compared to what we are going to be experiencing in the heavenly city. So we as Christians, we see this tiny book called Nahum, only three chapters long, and we ask ourselves, what are we going to do with this? I know you added a lot of Christ connection in there and you made it sound real fluffy and good, but like when I come to my Bible and I see this in, in front of me, what, what, what do I do with this little book called Nahum? This is exactly what you need to do. You need to remember that God is jealous for us. He's jealous when we start whoring after other gods. We chase after other idols. It deeply affects him. And that what, what, what are we to do now? We are to be faithful to the God and the only God who can love us eternally. And we are to be faithful to him every day. It's a daily decision to be faithful to the God who is jealous for us. We are also to remember that he is a good refuge. Remember that God is a good refuge and he is a strong refuge. And so what are we to do? We are to run to him. Run to the only God who is able to really protect you from those evil forces. The only God who is able to eternally and wholly take you, wrap his arms around you, 
and protect you from all harm. Run to the God who is the only good and strong refuge. Also know that God does not withhold good news from us. He's told us. He's told us what, that he is bringing good news. He's told us that he publishes peace. And in the Gospels, we know exactly what that is. He does not withhold that from us. He does not make us guess what that is. And so what are we to do? We are to share that good news just as God did. We don't need to hold it into ourselves. We need to share it. Tell people about the love of Jesus. Let them know that their sins have been forgiven. Let them know that Jesus desires to have a personal relationship with them and that he's preparing, preparing a place for them right now. Also know that the Lion of Judah has already come. He's already come. He's already died the death that we all deserve. And so we are to look to him. So I encourage you today, in the midst of, of a good day, in the midst of a bad day, in the midst of every day, don't look to your job or your major or your friends or your sorority or your test grade or your car or your bank account for affirmation or consolation or comfort. Look to Christ because he is the only God who is able to eternally affirm you and make you new and wash you clean. Don't look to these other things that are fleeting and so small and worldly and fleshly that just pass away as quickly as they come. Look to Christ who is the only one who is able to have that personal relationship with you. And so, yes, we read Nahum's words and we know they're heavy. We know they're heavy. And yes, this portion of scripture humbles us. As I said at the very beginning, some very humbling experiences. We can, we can look at this and we can read this in the context of, of true humility, knowing that this is, this is humble for us to hear, that we oftentimes chase after other gods. We oftentimes chase after sins and we reject the God who loves us and he is all powerful. And this is hum humbling for us to hear and it humbles us to our core. But what are we to do? We are to rest in the only God who is jealous for you and truly desires to spend eternity with you. Rest in that. I encourage you to rest in that. Rest in the Holy Spirit who is the who Jesus says is the helper and the comforter that he sent to us that can abide in us when we proclaim the name of Jesus. Rest in that. Jesus says in Matthew 11, come to me all who are heavy laden and labor and I will give you rest. Jesus has called us to come to him and he himself wrap his arms around you and he'll give you rest. Thanks for listening to the Oxano podcast. If you want more information on the songs that we sing at Oxano, you can find us on Spotify at Oxano Songs We Sing. If you have more questions about what it means to follow Jesus or about next steps in following him, please email us at connect at dawsonchurch.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.